The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. So I got a PhD in studied engineering and practiced there in South Africa, then had a post in ministry and did ministry in South Africa. Um, but eventually came to Australia. Uh, my wife is actually Australian by birth, um, so there's one big difference in there. Um, came to Australia with a mind and worked PhD in Adelaide, and then wound up pastoring the church in Harvey Bay for the past seven years or so. And how that happened, how did I come from being in the mining industry? In Adelaide, to be pastoring church in Queensland, Queensland, where that's got to do with fishing and it's got to do with Fraser Island. And you add those two things together, we've got a miracle in there. So I can tell you the story of the day. I'm married to Miriam, she's a chaplain in two schools in Harvey Bay. That's part of the reason I'm traveling up and down is because I feel that she has a calling there. And I also need to kind of recognize that she has a calling. And uh, I believe that. Also in that, and also in that. But two married uh, young adults, adult girls, um, they both love Jesus, and we're grateful for that. And I credit all of that to God's work, but also to my wife, who is so good and very beautiful. So that's a little bit about me. So we're going to journey through the book of Mark for the next couple of months. We'll see how this goes. And there's a reason I picked this book. Because as, I, as I've been with you as a church, I've sensed that you are all on the cusp of something. There is a sense that there is change afoot. But we know in our culture at the moment there is so much change happening. One of the things that have concerned us is the, is the decline of Christianity in Australia. There's been a multi decade decline of Christianity. Ursula Lesseva has found that, that, for example, Christianity has dropped. For those who attend church once a month, has dropped from 35% in 1950 down to about 15%. Australians will attend church once a month in Australia. This is part through the pandemic. During the pandemic, it picked up a little to about 21 percent. People began to struggle with the anxieties about that and insecurity about that and, and wanting to find some place uh, to make sense of life. But we do know that our world is disinterested at best and utterly hostile at worst at Christians. And so we are facing a challenge in our society. How do we look at How do we look as families, as Christians, as people wanting to make a difference in this world? One of the reasons that Kindle has found, and Kindle is a, is a survey, and how many Christian nations are 47% of people say that the church is just irrelevant to their lives. 26% said they don't, um, they don't like the way that they teach, and 24% and so our style is outdated. Well, what do we do about this? But there is a change afoot. And uh, some of the statistics are showing us now that, for example, after the pandemic, 
that even though the group that we were worried about was the young adults and the other millennials, I can use that title, millennials sort of born 1985, so that about the But because the millennials believe in church after the, after the, they grew up in church, and they came to the youth program, they used to the church and they that was five years ago, and we were putting in place some strategies to reach young adults who were the forgotten or the lost generation. Something shifted during the pandemic. In the recent research last year from the ACLS in Cambridge, they found that yes, the percentage of Australia's attending church once a month is Once a month in Australia. Part of the reason is our millennials are struggling with anxiety. Part of the older folks are thinking about times before and fearing about the pandemic system, but they didn't just carry on with life for the arrival. But for our young adults, and partly it's my fault, and my parents don't believe it, they get up with the courage of the millennial generation. We have taught our millennial generation that life is just going to get better. The lightning that was built in the 1800s, the scientific guys said that life is going to get better. You know, with the advances of technology, of medicine, life will get better. But the reality is that hasn't, we haven't found life to be better. So our millennials are returning, and there is a change. I said, I'd like to say this to you as a church, right now, church of God is part of this year, that Australians don't really have time to church, but they still love. Jesus. Now, listen, we're in the book of Mark, only because you see this real time of transition. But the book of Mark is very much about who is Jesus and why did he come and what did he do as a result. And so, not only for the, for the, for the energizing of the Holy Spirit, but also for the dividing ways where we're interested in finding out more about Jesus. This would be a great place to actually explore that and to ask the hard questions. Because that is exactly what I believe. Beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, and will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins. Six. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, part of a large rope, and wore a leather belt around his waist and put the rope past him while coming. And he was preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than me. The straps of whose sandals are not worthy to speak down. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So who was Mark? So Mark, we believe, was, was related to Barnabas, and Mark ready to get his material for his gospel, we believe, and there's some early church evidence that he got it from the apostle Peter. We don't know who Peter was. Peter was one of the first disciples of Jesus, and so many of you do, but I'm not going to assume that anybody in the room 
is that whole story because they, I think you're expecting to even write your own church friends and who was the Apostle Peter, one of the first disciples, the type of guy who took action, the type of guy who fought before, so he jumped in before he thought about it. And most women will say, well, that's typical of most men, right? But Peter was especially so. He got his foot in his mouth many times. He was a man of action. And in this book, that's why I believe that Peter was the source of material for Mark who wrote this. That if you see this agency, you see this action, you see this, let's get on with it. Let's get the show on the road. Written probably in Rome, we think, uh, during the time of persecution of Christians, and Mark had traveled with the apostle Paul, and then left Paul and Paul got angry about that, and then later on Mark came and again. Written sort of uh, between, uh, before the, the fall of Jerusalem, maybe 70, so somewhere around 1860 to 1870, that he wrote this. This book is full of this sense of, of starting out, and as we saw, that it, it doesn't even give, and we'll see this in a moment, it doesn't even give Jesus a story of his birth. It just starts off with this wild guy in the desert, and he starts playing on Jesus, he focuses on Jesus. He's going to want to show us who he is, really who he is, and, and, and prove to us that, that, he, that he is this, this person who's come to change the world. This narrative moves really quickly, for example, and we'll see this in the verse of the text in chapter 1 in the, in the coming weeks. But he uses this word at once, at once, and he's used it seven times just in chapter 1. It's about Jesus and Jesus being in charge. So let's pack and pack some more. Let's go to verse 1 and 2. Talks about in the beginning, the beginning of the beginning. So the gospel of good news is the same word. But this is where beginning. And it should be worth trust that word because it's the same word used in every story we can do in, in the book of Genesis. But in the beginning, God. Here's the same word in Greek now saying, but beginning. This is something new. This is something changing. It's a train coming. And it says it's the good news, or the word gospel that we often use. We talk about that, and, and I find we just use that word quite quickly. But what does it mean when we talk about it being good news? That word was used in, in ancient times when, when, when the king uh, conquered an enemy, or where there was a new king. And, and somebody would, would go around speaking the good news. They would have a document that would bring it, that would declare the good news. That was before the age of social media, right? Probably, you know, if you send it out today, you actually could read it, you could it, you send it out. But Mark is using this, and he's begun to change this idea to something different from something just about talking about something that's happened. He's actually turned it into being about a person and what the person did, and he wrote it down. It's something that anchored now. It's good news for us. It's about Jesus, the word Jesus. Which means God saves. There's this idea that, that this person is coming is different from others. And I want you to press into this as you think about those who don't know Jesus and perhaps you're exploring your own life. You think about what Mark is going to say about this person. Mark is Jewish. Mark's going to make some declarations about him. The Son of God, for example, he would say. And we would go, well, not the people would go, well, how does that work? You know, how can God come down here? How can God have a son? That doesn't sit well with me. 
think about how you accept a Jewish man. It would have been theological and intellectual barriers for him to actually say, This is the Son of God. You have seen him at Dio's ministry, but you've heard from the Apostle Peter this question about how Peter himself had been on that journey. There's this visible place in the middle of the night that Jesus and the Sinkers Peter's time in a couple of months time. But Jesus says, Who do you say I am? And Peter said, You are you are the Messiah, you're the Son of God. You've come to realize that. He's the Messiah, he's the anointed one, he's the king. There's this change happening. We see as we just as we carry on reading that in verse 4. Mark says that John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, in the desert. This is where it begins to sit in our hearts. What's this thing about the wilderness? Why on earth did he go out there preaching in the desert? What is it about desert spaces? Desert spaces is where you typically in the Bible would encounter God, but God would, would bring people to a place where they have very little around them to trust in. For the things they have believed in are sort of run its course. And they, and they, they realize that, you know what, if I don't find God, I'm in trouble. These desert spaces, these wilderness places, they're important in the Bible. It's where God shows up to provide us what we look for. See what happens in our hearts, friends. We, even if you say you're a Christian, and, and, I, and I talk about this as us, because I'm finding my own heart to do this. The things we say we really believe in, very often hidden in our own hearts. <coughs> as John Calvin said, we are experts, we are idol factories. Our hearts are idol factories. We begin to trust things which really we shouldn't be trusting. We begin to put our trust in things which really belong to trusting in God. For example, in Australia, we, we put our trust in families. Our families will be there for us, in our marriages, in our work. We build our identity in those things, and when those things go wrong, we lose hope. Very often, God brings us into the desert places, and we discover again what our hearts truly desire. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in his book, Near Christianity. He said, Most people, if they really learned how to look into their own hearts, would know that they, that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never. It's an easy way to describe what he's talking about. When you're planning to go on a holiday, for example, what's the best part of the holiday? It's the anticipation for me, for the journey. Very often, the holiday you have, it's an expensive holiday, lets you down. The things that you were expecting to do and the fulfillment you were expecting to have didn't quite have the mustard. We look forward to things because our hearts are looking for something which, as C.S. Lewis says, is not quite on the surface. So we're disappointed with life. There's a few things we can do with disappointment, C.S. Lewis would say. He says the first 
the way we do it is the way the fool's way is written. The fool's way is this. It says if we don't find satisfaction in this thing, then we belong in that thing. We don't find satisfaction in our marriage, in our work, in our footy club, in our car, in, in whatever we pick. The fool's way is to say there's a sense of emptiness with this. Therefore, I will look for another one. I will try and find another person who can fill this hole. I will look for another job that can fill this hole. I will try this to try and fill this hole. Another hobby, another thing to do. And he said, he's a fool. The most Christians, and many Christians, is the second way, is the disillusion way. Well, we go, well, I've never tried that, but it hasn't quite worked out, so you know what, she'll be alright. I would just carry on with life and just sort of give up and not try very hard and, and not expect life to really offer me anything good. We just sort of go along deflated and disillusioned with this way of life. We go, well, that's just how life is. I just accept it. That's the disillusion. Jesus says the Christian way is different. Christian way, he would argue, is to say that because we have this longing in our hearts, because there is this longing, it means there is something or someone that is filled. And because we know we're on the journey, it won't be filled in this place, but it will be filled when God brings us kingdom. It will be filled when Jesus Christ finally comes to take the rule and reign of this place to remake us, to remake this world, to remake it to how it should be. And so the discomfort I'm feeling in my present becomes a prayer. becomes a, God, I'm looking to you as the answer to these things. God, I've got this illusion and I'm feeling happy to drive me to you, to pray for your kingdom to come. To pray for the real thing to come to sit on the floor. As I said, I grew up in South Africa and in the desert when it rains. And it was, it was so low precipitation. And literally, the fields, the desert was far, the fires were coming. Fields of fires. It's just crazy wildness. But it's possible for us to burn in the desert of our lives. But it's in this place that John the Baptist shows up. It's in this place that he's preaching, and people are coming out of him. Why? Because they realize they have a need for something to change. They realize they're broken. Their families are broken. Their lives are broken. They need to make a change. And this is the good idea for the book of Mark that I want to put to you. If you develop this as the best thing, that this is God, that Jesus is, and brings good news. To rescue a world that is lost in the desert of self-absorption. I use the word self-absorption instead of sin, and I've done that deliberately because I would argue that sin is really from the heart of self-absorption. The brokenness in our relationship started out when we said, Look, this is going to be about me. I want to eat that food, whatever it looks like. We want to get that to the inside. It was a self-absorbed moment when Adam and Eve made that decision. I would argue all of the things we do wrong, all of the poor actions, the things we are sinful about, come from the heart of self 
Come from this place where, as if John Calvin said, we build an idol in our hearts so easily. What can we do? I find myself very doing you know, thinking, you know, doing the best for God. And in that moment, a little thought comes into my mind. Yeah, but isn't that the truth? And I find myself as the Apostle Paul, and I'm being transparent with you, and I'm still in the period of happens to you too. With the Apostle Paul, that just when you think you're doing good, hmm, the idol builds in your life. My heart and your heart is an idol captive. We build this idol to self. It shows itself in the things we trust in, the way we save for the future, you know, it's good to save for the future, but sometimes we become so frugal and stingy because we want to take control of our future. So we build this idol of frugalness, but really we sometimes we lack generosity. And that joy is an example. Meeting Jesus in the desert. And so verse 5 says, the whole of the Judean countryside, I'm sure Mark was meaning this to say, there's so many people. Uh, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized in the Jordan. What's this idea about the Jordan? The Jordan has an important place. But for any Jews, so the sort of the lights would go on. I want to explain this a bit because it's important that people support this. The Jordan River was an important river. It was the river that crossed when they came out of Egypt, the life of sin, the life of, of not following God, the life of wandering in the desert. And Joshua led from Moses with them up to that person. He was Moses to change from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua led the Israel, the nation of Israel, through the Jordan. Baptizing them in the Jordan, as it were. Leaving behind this life of, of sin, this life of, of wandering, this life of hopelessness, and going into the promised land. It's the place where the ministry of Elijah and, and Elisha takes place. It was the place when Naaman, who was a Syrian, who came to, 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 to Israel to be healed, was where he was baptized. And when he came up out of that, he said, There is no God in all the world except in Israel. You can see that in two things. It's this place where, and we read it in the other Gospels, where John the Baptist has just crossed the Jordan with baptizing people on the other side. You see, friends, he was signifying this is a change coming. We're living behind that old life. We're recognizing we need to shift. And so he was baptizing people. This was their own choice. This was their own being. It was going, I need to make Come back to this idea of baptism. And what John was saying in verse 10 is that John was baptizing them for repentance and for forgiveness of sins. But where does this practice come from? Because really in the Old Testament you had this practice of washings, of ceremonies, of people doing it themselves. If you were a Gentile, a non Jew, and you wanted to become a Jew, you went through a baptism ritual. And very often you did that yourself. There was this idea of washing in the practice, changing your mind. But we know, friends, that we can't, as we said this morning around the community table, there's nothing we can do. We, we can identify we have a problem, but identify we need something needs to change. But really, this baptism was very strong. It was a declaration to say, I need to change. There was a different type of baptism that we need. How on earth did we change? How on earth? 
Is this trend going to come to our world? How is this trend going to come to our community, to our young adults, to this nation of, of Australia, where the people are disinterested in church, but they are alive to Jesus? This opening chapter gives us two examples of that kind of trend. And as we go through the book of Mark, we will develop this idea about who Jesus really is. The first thing we see in uh, it's not two things, you can see two things. One not so clear, the other is the other one is very clear. Mark starts out this book and he says, talks about preparing the way. He uses the word the way or the path three times in the first two verses. Later on in the book of Mark, the word shifts to Jesus going on his way to Jerusalem and his way to and he uses that very specifically to say the way that this thing that would come, this thing that we would think, well, who is this thing? Has he got a right to me? This thing would actually become a servant and a savior and God for us. This thing who, who made some outrageous statements about himself. I mean, if you just read the book of Mark and you get no clue about Jesus, who Jesus is, you would think he's a pretty self-absorbed person. He spoke a lot about himself. But the point is, he is God. He's saying, I am the way. Follow me. The way to the cross. Very clearly, is the book of Mark. This Savior, this King comes, got to rule over you, and rule one day that he's going to serve you to save you from going to the cross. It's a pivotal point in life of what happens in chapter 1. And it's in this place where we see Jesus himself, as it were, going into the wilderness, and we'll see that in the next week and the week after. Jesus himself comes into this wilderness of this earth and, and makes himself nothing. Taking on the nature of a servant, he turns into the wilderness so that he could take that wilderness out of our hearts. Out of our Give us hope for the future. Here's the second thing that Jesus does, and I'll end this end with this in this particular. The second thing that don't say that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now I know when we talk about that in Baptist churches, we sort of get the sugar up our spine and go, what is that going to do? Well, just go with it for a bit. Remember, John is baptizing people in order. He's saying this is a choice you have to make. You are recognizing that you need a change. But friends, we know that change is not possible on our own. And Jesus himself would send after the death and resurrection, he would send the Holy Spirit, he would baptize his word, he would send the very power and presence of God into our lives to bring about the change. Jesus died and rose again and ruling and reigning from heaven is important. But how does that become bringing the change for you now? It's the Spirit of God. Who does that? Who changes us? Who renews us? So let's not leave the discussion on the Holy Spirit to the Pentecostal. Let's not get a shiver up our spine. It's the very source of our ability, friends, to change and to live in the desert with a sense of joyfulness and hope and purpose. He's been given to us and he's a preferred person of the Trinity. I love the way somebody described 
the way the Father, Son, and Spirit work. The Father wills it. In other words, the Father decides this is the plan. The Son accomplishes it, accomplishes it, accomplishes the Father's will, and the Spirit applies what the Son has accomplished. So that in all things, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Comes the one who is more powerful than I, the straps of his sandals, and that ability to stoop down and untie. In other words, I can't even be his servant and take up his shoes and brush his feet. He that tells me to do it. He that tells me to do it. Romans 5, verse 68, puts it this way. Altogether, as Paul says, you see, at just the right time, the time that Mark is taking up. When we, how does the Apostle Paul is intending this? When we were still powerless, that's how we His love for us in this. My friends, this is a message to anyone who is searching for Jesus. That God demonstrates His love to you. That while we were still sinners, while we were self absorbed, Christ came. My friends, the Gospel of Mark is going to show us that Jesus is and brings good news. Rescue a world that is lost in the desert of self-absorption. How do you respond to this? How do you respond to the fire baptizing, life transforming, idol smashing person called Jesus? Can you kill him? Can you hear him? Run from him and fear? Will you surrender? Jesus this morning, I encourage you to explore Jesus for yourself. Perhaps you watch it online and you're going, I'm interested in Jesus, I read it no more. Read the Gospel of Mark. Explore it for yourself. Don't worry about what other people tell you. Secondly, friend, if you're in the desert, if you're in the desert right now, then friends, embrace it, lean into it, and allow it to deepen your longing for the rule and reign of God on earth. Turn it into a prayer and it will give you hope. It's filled with encouragement. Because this life, friends, is not all you have. This life will not satisfy you. But turn your prayer into that which will. And thirdly, I want to ask you very pointedly as we have come to the end of this two-week week of prayer, in what way can you be and bring good news to a friend this week? In what way can you be and bring the compassion of Jesus to those around you? In what way can you be and bring generosity 
to those around you. The one way can you be and be a kind word to those around you. The one way can you be and bring joy to those around you. The one way can you be and bring the person of Jesus to those around you. I'm going to pray and as I pray, the worship team can come up as close the service and worship to us and let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you sent the Spirit as God's word witness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have come in our hearts. That you are bringing honor to Jesus. You are fulfilling the will of the Father. As this gospel is giving news is proclaimed. As you speak to hearts and challenge us to to lean into you, Lord, and not buy into a second-hand faith that this is a cop-out and a sell-out and we just accept life as it is and should be alright, my Lord. Allow our hearts to burn for the coming rule and reign of Jesus Christ. For the restoration of this creation and of, of humanity, of our relationships, of our hopes and dreams. For those that are broken here this morning, hearing the gospel, for the company of your listening, of your leading and leading. The openness they have will not reject them. The fact that the openness they have is going to bring them to you. But I just know in my heart, I sense in my heart, Someone like that right now is just a lack of faith. Would you minister to the heart of fear, a strong affirmation of call and of life and of fear? I respond quickly. We pray for your encouragement that all our hearts is that we would be and bring good news to this community. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.